Hello, folks. Welcome to uh, Dojo Talks. Today, we are talking the latest chess Olympiad that just finished uh, literally uh, two days ago or yesterday in, in Chennai. Um, I actually I got confused because I was following it get, like live. And for me, it, it like the last round started uh, actually on the same day as the penultimate round because <laughs> it, was, it was five hours earlier. So the penultimate round for me started 2.30 a.m. Pacific time. I think Sunday or Monday morning, and then the final round started like 9.30 p.m., I'd <laughs> say. So I don't know when it finished, but it was very, very exciting um, to follow, and uh, there's a lot of interesting stories from the Olympiad, and we'll, we'll be uh, discussing many of them um, today. First, let me let me, let me me throw it to you guys. Um, David, how much were you following the event, and how, how much did you enjoy it this time around? Um, I was following it. Um but not live because it was the middle of the night for me. So how much I was following it was uh, when I would get up every day, I would check all the results and all the games of all the players that I'm interested in, which includes basically all players over 2,700 and all juniors participating in it. And um, I mean, because they were on the top boards, it was, it was natural to follow them. But um but there are a couple teams that I tend to root for in these events. Um, two of them are Uzbekistan and Armenia. So it was like obvious to check their games. Um, you know, if they'd been further down in the standings, I would have been checking their games too. Um, I checked uh, Norway's games up to a point, And then um, that's another team that I'm a fan of. And then uh, I couldn't, I couldn't check anymore <laughs> because things <laughs> were going so badly for them. So yeah, that's that's that 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 was my my followage. Yeah, they dropped off a bit. How about you, Jesse? Um, it was a depressing event for me. So it got to a certain point, the level of pain was so hard as a fan that it became hard to watch. And then there was like a decision made of like, should I continue watching the carnage or do maiden twos? And there were some days the maiden twos won, my friend, because it was so bad. <laughs> it was so bad for both. You know, I kind of, I root for the U.S. team and they were like a super team. And we'll talk about that. But honestly, it was like Bobby's collapse, which we'll also talk about, that really killed me. There was a couple other people who collapsed we'll also talk about. But that was as a fan, it became hard to watch. <laughs> yeah, so you you were saying as a fan of like of the U.S. team. Yeah. Um Absolutely. I mean, I feel like uh, our our women didn't do didn't do so bad, but um, of course, I'm always rooting for them to uh, to medal. So anything short of that is is going to be disappointing. And then the U.S. Open team, of course, as we'll talk about, were, were huge uh, huge favorites. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure where you guys want to start here, but I feel like I know. Oh, where do you want to go? A good place to start. <laughs> We've got, we talked a whole list of some like really cool questions and, and, and I, and thoughts that came up while watching the Olympiad, but straight off the bat, I think chat had a better question than any of our questions. So I think we should like transition straight into this, which is chat asking, how do we sort of choose which teams we're rooting for? Like, why am I rooting for Uzbekistan? Why is Jesse rooting for the, for the U S team? Like, so can, can you each say, is there more than one team you root for and and why do you root for that team? Yeah, I mean, I guess um, I like the U.S. team. I typically root for the U.S. team, but um, yeah, there are other 
other teams that I'm uh, fond of as well, like Ukraine, of course, um, being being my home country, and and obviously their recent troubles, you know, made me want to root for them. Made me very happy for the Ukrainian women's team that they won uh, their section. That was awesome. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have like a ton of favorite teams. I just kind of I don't know. I like a lot of different players, um, and I like it when people uh, do well. I'm a shameless bandwagon so when yeah. someone like gukesh is doing well i'm like great i hope he just like continues to to crush it right or if it was nihal right. you know that ended up i mean he did have a great event but if he ended up having like the nine out of nine i'd been like yeah go nihal <laughs> like, that's awesome um so yeah i just like it when players have like great performances and and do amazing things i thought what sergisian did on board one for armenia um, was amazing. Going into the event, I wasn't thinking about Armenia that much, but then as they were doing well, I was like, oh my god, yeah, they're they're playing without their, their superstar for many years. Um, and, and they're still doing amazing, which to me was just like, absolutely absolutely incredible. Much more surprising than um, the uh, uh, Uzbek performance, because I feel like, okay, right. those kids, yeah, they're the future. They're gonna, they're gonna take <laughs> over. <laughs> So when Gukesh has a performance like this, does that mean that you would like root for him next time? Like once somebody's made this impression on you and sort of grabbed you as a fan, can they take you with them to the next I mean, event? Yeah, I mean at this point, I'm definitely rooting for like all the Indian kids because I'm I'm definitely mm -hmm. a fan of like uh, Gukesh and Nihal and and, and Prague, um, and uh, you know Eric Icy I think deserves an apology for me because like I didn't even know about him until he was like winning Waikanze. This <laughs> is like. <laughs> Like oh my god! Like what? What is happening? Um, yeah, and uh, there there are other kids as well. I remember um, there was this kid Arvind who was also super strong coming out of India, mm -hmm. but I think he he dropped off. Chitambaram. Yeah, but he was also another Ramesh kid. Okay, he got. I'm pretty sure he got to like 2600. So yeah, you know, still quite amazing. But um, yeah. So for me, I don't know. I like the juniors. I like the underdogs. Um, but I also I also like the U.S. team. Of course. How about you, Jesse? Well, you know, first of all, it's it's always as a fan, whether it's chess or something else, it's always kind of an emotional experience. And what's funny about the U.S. team is that for most of my life, the U.S. team were stark underdogs, just incredible underdogs, and they really didn't have a chance. There was a couple times they did really well um, back in the day, but it was not because that they were. Uh, on par with the Soviets or the Russians or the Ukrainians or anybody else, you know, through that whole period of years. Now, all of a sudden, they are the strongest team on paper with Aronian coming over. Aronian, mm -hmm. we got to put in perspective, the Armenian team won the Olympiad in amazing <laughs> fashion. The streets of Yerevan with Aronian, all these uh, plaudits and everything, the whole country celebrating, you know. All of a sudden, he's on our team, and it feels like, oh, we should win this thing now. Now <laughs> it's like this really <laughs> to put it in perspective, in historical perspective. Imagine it this way: World Cup is coming up in soccer. The U.S. team has always been terrible. Let's say around twentieth in the world, something like that. And uh, that's the way it was for our chess team for most of time. Not twentieth, but still not really up with the high contenders. Imagine suddenly as a fan, you know, you're rooting as a fan of an underdog for all your life. And then all of a sudden, imagine the US team were somehow at the top of world soccer it would be unbelievable, but you would still be rooting for them because there's like 
memory of like, oh no, they were once this incredible underdog team. And of course, I know that people on them or know have studied their games, you know, so that creates an emotional bond. And for me, you know, even more than the team, like it was just soul crushing. Ah, oh, to see Fabi fall from grace, man. I mean, and maybe we're witnessing it right now. We'll talk about that in a second. But anyways, no. the question was, how do you get these fan relationships? Um, and maybe the only difference between something I know very little about, like soccer and chess, is just when I've studied a person's games, I feel like I know them better. I know where they're coming from. And because I'm an old guy, I'm against the kids. You got to be against the kids. And I haven't been studying Gukesh's <laughs> games for all my life. No, I've only heard that kid's name in the last couple of years, you know, so come on. Well, this event was tough for you because I think overall the kids uh, pretty much racked up a score. No, um, we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> First, I'll agree with you on something. The more you study someone, the more you root for them in the future. I totally agree with that, you know, but... So I think what happens with me often is like, I sort of find out about some new prodigy and then I'll sort of follow their games forever, you know? So eventually they won't be a prodigy. They'll just be like a super GM, but I'll still be a fan of theirs because I've been watching their games since they were young. Um, like for example, um, Faruja, I started watching his games when he was just turning 12 approximately, uh -huh, uh -huh. you know? And he was playing the Benoni in the Iranian closed championships. And I was like, wait, there's a 12 year old in a national championship. And he's playing the Benoni against some GMs rated 200 points higher than him and sort of scoring some points. Uh -huh. You know, so then I, I follow him. Right. And now of course he's super high rated, but you know, when he's 30 years old, you know, I'll still be a fan because I've been following him all that time. Um, my, my fan relationships are, are many, uh, you know, I I'm in love with a million chess players. Um, but, but there's a few different ways that they crop up. One is somebody just plays in a style. I like, you know, like if you want me to be your fan, go beat a GM with the King's gambit, you know, sack a few pieces and, and then I'll follow your boring Rui Lopez games in the future. <laughs> uh, and another way is when there's like a collection of players in one area that kind of emerge together, that always like grabs me, you know, when there's some, some sort of peers, some little group and you like wonder like what's bubbling there, how are they all getting it together? You know? So I was really excited about the Iranian uh, national team at some point when I realized that they had like four, you know, players under 16, 17, who are really good. It was like, well, you know, at the Olympiad, um, you know, I think they had Gam Magami sort of watching over four kids <laughs> at the Olympiad. And it's like, oh, you know, in five years, these kids could just be, a, you know, a team of like all 2700s potentially, you know, or maybe like one or two will be stuck in the 2600s, but it would be like quite a team. So sort of being able to see that four or five years in the future. So there was a there was a time a couple of years ago where I was like, ooh, the Uzbek team, ooh, the Iranian team, you know, and that made me a big fan of theirs. So I was really sad to see um to see uh Faruja go federation wise. I mean, it, you know, it may be may have been by far the best thing for him, who knows? And you know, I I wish him I wish him well. Yeah, on that it was it was a switch. shame we we couldn't see a fully powered French team with him and like MVL cuz they would have just been huge contenders uh for sure 
Um, yeah, I mean, their their third board is at his highest rating of his life and went undefeated on board one, Jules Moussard. So, yeah, Moussard, uh, yeah, incredibly talented player. Out of like nowhere, a third gun. Undernoticed, yeah. right, exactly. Um, yeah, and they still have like Fresnay and Bacro and, and all those guys. Um, yeah, I mean, speaking of, there, I mean, there's a few teams missing from the Olympiad, you know, namely Russia. Um, although I would argue that the U.S. kind of uh, took Russia's role for this one as being this just like massive underperforming favorite. Um, and then uh, China as well, which won a couple of years ago um, and has always had just like an incredibly uh, strong team. Um, so, yeah, did that kind of like detract it for you, for you guys that the Olympiad really wasn't as strong as it as it could have been? For me, it was a bummer. I mean, that, that Russia couldn't play. Obviously, I understand why, but feel like their team is obviously just like uh insanely strong and uh, and deserves mm -hmm. to be there it was it was a mild bummer i would have hoped to see the russian team there getting beat up like the american team that would have been that would have been great um yeah they would have finished have like fourth or sixth against. would have been fun i have a couple teams i root against uh, i mostly root for people but sometimes I root against the team while rooting for people on that team. Like, for example, the U.S., I always root against the U.S. team, but I always root for Sam Shankland. Often I root for several people on the U.S. team, you know, like if Jeffrey Sean gets to play or um, Sam Sevian, I would root for. Um, but but the team as a whole, like I'm hoping that, you know, that, that they don't do too well. Um, and if, if Russia had gotten smashed by by the Uzbek teenagers, that would have been a a day to really enjoy for me. So yeah, it's too bad they weren't there. So, let's talk yeah. about this US thing because I I saw a lot of people kind of like trashing the US team, um, yeah. especially this time around. I mean, we've we've been like quote unquote buying players for several years now um, with, with Fabi like back in like 2016, I think was his first one that he played for us. Um, but this time we had like Dominguez and, and Ronian as well. Um, yeah, actually, that kind of bummed me out. Like the, all this talk about like how, like the U.S. is um, just buying all the top stars. Uh, I think for a couple of reasons. I'd be interested to hear what you guys think about this. We already did a whole episode. Actually, people can check out on on this topic. But it seemed to come up a lot this time, which was confusing for me. Um, number one, because the U.S. didn't even do well. It's not like they dominated the event. I would understand if the U.S. like won every match. And then it was like no, it was just not competitive. And then people would be upset, like, yeah, they bought all the best players. Now they're winning every game. I'd be like, yeah, actually, that that's not fun. But they, it was yeah. very competitive. <laughs> they were hardly the favorites, you know, going into the last couple rounds. Everyone could tell, like, the team just wasn't playing as well as, as the Indians or the Armenians or the uh, Uzbek kids. So that was one thing. Is that like, well, they, like, yeah, they didn't even, they didn't even win. Like, <laughs> like, what's the problem? Number two, it's like. I don't know. I think a lot of people are acting like the only thing that happened was that the U.S. team decided they need strong chess players and decided to offer money to to all the best players in the world as if these players like didn't like move to the U.S. already on their own. We're already like living in the U.S. Uh, in most cases, um, like Wesley So is like living here multiple years before switching as if they didn't have like huge issues with their federation, like with Wesley So having very well documented issues with his federation with Levon being very uh, unhappy with the Armenian Federation, like people are acting like the only thing that happened was like someone sent Levon a check for like a million dollars and then he moved to the US and like that was it. It was just like a simple like I think I think deal. he may not have even moved, Kosti. He may have just gotten an address here. 
<laughs> no, he he lives in St. Louis. Lives in St. Louis yeah. Or Yerevan. Or Yerevan. <laughs> I, I have seen him live here in St. Louis. <laughs> I can tell you for a fact. He, yeah, does live here. So that was a bummer for me. It's like as if, you know, especially like Aronian, like... Uh, uh, like the people think he's like happy to have like switched from his like home country that he like won so many medals for as like a hero. Like do people think that was not just, happy like, now, like purely <laughs> like, a, like just the financial, like, Oh, he just wanted some money. Like, it's just very strange. Like, I feel like people are very short sighted about it. They see like all the strong players on the team. And they think these players don't have like their own stories or reasons like why they ended up transferring. Anyway. I mean, it's a little guys... bit too much of a coincidence Kostya, to not, have something to do with Sinkfield's money. Well, I'm sure that was a supporting factor, but I mean, we can talk about any of these like specific players. Like they're all had connections to the U S and we're all moving here. So, uh, so I don't know. I mean, yeah, like, but they all had connections to other countries too. I mean, Levon lived in Germany at some point in his life. Right. Yeah. I can't speak to why he, he chose to the, the U S but it's clearly not as simple as just like, oh, like these players wanted more money and, and that's it. Like, I don't know. I don't think I've uh, rarely made decisions in my life that were, that was just like, the, it was like one factor. I thought about nothing else. I mean, I've fortunately never been in a position where I had to like move countries and switch my whole life. Yeah. I, I feel like the chess team that I play for would be like one of the last things I think about if I have to like uproot my whole life and start living in a new country. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's just me. Well, and I want to say something obvious is that if you, I, I would say, first of all, Caruana is definitely an American player. Uh, if you wanted to take out Dominguez and Aronian, and so we would still have an amazing team. If Naka played and then you had Shankland and you got guys like Jeffrey Jean, we still have a 2,700 plus team. You know, so it's still like, <laughs> it would still be at this, we would still be at the top, even without those guys, uh, you know, so right. is it, is it a little, I, I honestly, I just want to say of all the people switching federations, the one we talked about it with Aronian, I still don't entirely, I still, I, I thought more of the backstory was going to get filled in through time. And I didn't quite feel, I knew there was the thing with the federation, but I didn't quite understand the thing with Dominguez Paris I mean get out of Cuba for sure get out <laughs> it's not just about chess you know for that guy so you know there's other reasons to go and yeah. so it's been here honestly forever at this point he has been here forever so so beyond that you guys I mean what do you think of the of the proposition that if the U.S. had brought you know Hans Neiman Jeffrey Xiong and Sam Sevian they would have done better than bringing the all-stars regardless of how they, how they got the all-stars onto their team. Um, yeah. If anything, people should be happy that the, the all-stars played rather than the, the hungry um, juniors. It's very possible that, you know, a team of just like Shanklin, Zhang, uh, Sevian, you know, would have just done, done better. Of course, knowing what we know now, <laughs> obviously we don't know. They might've done much worse as well. Not having like a lot of experience, uh, but, I mean, I don't know. Clearly, the Olympiad showed that these team events—it's not about the uh, the sum of of the parts. If it was, then Russia would have been winning every single year. Um, no, it's clearly just about how the the team does. And um, well, yeah, we were talking before the show about like, you know, whether twenty seven hundreds sometimes struggle against twenty six hundreds and why that might be. 
feel like on paper, 2700s are definitely just going to be better players overall. But it's just like when it comes to this team aspect and there's like all this nervous energy going on and like the games aren't going to be perfect. People are going to make mistakes. I feel like the team aspects, they throw a lot of that stuff kind of into uh, disbalance. And there's also very specific cases where 2700, you know, has to play more for the win because of what's happening with the team situation. And so they're um, not necessarily like even playing worse or playing like differently than they might play, but their mental psychology is clearly affected because it's not just a one-on-one -on -one game anymore. Now they have to think about the rest of the boards and like, uh oh, maybe I need to keep more winning chances alive uh, in this position. Mm -hmm. I was, um, I, I was doing this, this commentary last week with Lawrence Trent and, or I guess maybe, maybe just about two weeks ago, right before the Olympiad. And he told me he has a theory that the players over 2,700 are slightly overrated compared to the players rated around 2,600. And that if they played each other a bunch of times, you know, the 2,600s would, would go up in rating a little bit Um but the 2700s are often insulated by playing in round robins. Um, and so that was like in my mind as I was watching the results come in and basically, you know, in the top 30 or 40 players, and this obviously doesn't include Gukesh because he was out of the top 30 players before the tournament, right? Same with, same with Meksudlu or Sargisian, right? But like, if you look at the players who went into the Olympiad as the top, you know, 30 or so in the world, only Geary gained four rating points. Everybody else lost points. Um, so I was wondering, you know, like, huh, is there some truth to what Lawrence told me? <laughs> <laughs> I think if there is, it's more about the kids, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's, if you look at who, you know, um, and this crop of juniors is actually, I want to give a shout out to Chess Numbers on Twitter. He was the one who really has been highlighting for the past year, like the battle of the juniors for the top spot amongst the juniors and, you know, who was going to be number two for a while? Neiman was there. Abdul Tassaro, you know, Abdul, I can't pronounce the guy's name, but, he, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try. Abdul Sitarov was there and yeah. Arjun was there. A guy, right. All these guys were there. Then all of a sudden, boom, Kukesh, 16 years old. What? <laughs> and it just shows how strong this group of kids is. Right now, which is, I'm going to just segue to our last one. Magnus, if you're listening, buddy, they're coming for you. You might as well play another world championship, dog, because <laughs> these kids are coming to take it. And then what? You're going to play in the candidates match again just so you can face one of these kids? Oh, my gosh. All right, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> yeah, Magnus is losing yeah. ground. And just to put in perspective how young Gukesh is, uh, yeah. literally, it'll be three years um, next month that uh, I coached a world under 12 tournament in, uh -huh. in China in 2019. So three years ago, world under 12 championship, Gukesh was the number one seed in that tournament at 2450. All right. So three years ago. Yeah. It's scary. It's scary. But he would have been 13. How was he in an under 12 section? Well, there's some rules like you have to be, I think, either turning 12 or under 12, like January 1st of the year that you play. So you can turn 12 during the year. But he would have turned 13 already. No. Trust him. Trust him, Mr. Okay. <laughs> He's definitely there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. All right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, these uh, these juniors, and Keimer also just, like, super, super impressive. Um, it, it's it's interesting how they, they all they all get their, their chance to kind of surge 
Prague was searching, surging for a bit. Nihal were surging. Um, now Gukesh is just like, just like a completely different person now. Uh, Noderbeck as well. Um, yeah, it's a very, very exciting time for, for chess. I wonder if in a couple of years we're going to see like, you know, three Uzbeks in the top 10. I mean, it'd be like incredible. Be that would be, cool. that would be insane. Um, so the question of, you know, the 2700s versus the 2600s, I looked through 2700chess.com, right? Because at first it was like clear to me, you know, okay, the 2700 plus group, they basically all lost points, right? So then I tried to look around the 26. 50, 2660, 2670, did they all gain points? Uh But what I saw was kind of close to 50-50. Like it wasn't so clear that all the 2600s were gaining points. Mm -hmm. Then when you click to the junior list on 2700chess.com, that list is green and it's all double digits too. It's like Mm -hmm. they they just destroyed them, you know? So it seems like it's possible that the 2700s losing points could have come just from junior opponents and not from like some advantage of youngsters or youngsters who've already gotten better, but their rating hasn't gotten there yet. And not from random 2,600, so to speak. Right. And when you look, by the way, at that list, me and Mr. Bruce are looking at the under 21 list. Yeah. Uh, You look at like, let's say 10 conceivably, even 11, 12 names there. That's a, it's like the announcement of a new generation. If you think about it, chess fans might even be a little bit bored of these round robins always have the same names. It's clear that the names are now going to change. The names are going to be different names than they were in the past. So if maybe the biggest takeaway, I think there's a couple, but one of the takeaways is, oh, a new generation has announced itself and we're going to start to be seeing these names that we hadn't even heard of a couple of years ago. And then even some more coming up Sadwani, you've heard of that kid? I hadn't heard of that kid. I have. Yeah, he's yeah. He's, he's been doing really well in like the title you know, Tuesdays for like years here. now. Yeah, <laughs> number fourteen. He's no, you know, so he's like this huge competitive fight uh, in the under twenty ones is going to be, and it's just what does it also say in the big picture? Chess has been getting younger and younger, right? Mm-hmm. Younger, yeah. Um, that's um, interesting to say that actually on that point. I know um, Jakob Arger has he's been posting this thing where actually the average age of the top players um has has gone up a bit in the last couple of years it's like 30 31 and it doesn't uh-huh. really trend down um mm-hmm. now which, it will which is interesting maybe it will but you know we yeah. might see these kids um well we, we might see them stay at the top well into their 30s so it's kind of i don't know and now there'll be new kids um, no, I mean this. This topic is is tops of of the itinerary. So so tell us what what you think, Kostya. What what do you think is it is this wrong? This impression that the that the juniors are now better. That chess is favoring more and more younger players. What was the question? Are the juniors better? Yeah. Are are, are so it's basically like is chess more and more of a young person's game, right? Like. Are the juniors doing better because somehow chess favors youth more than it used to, right? Chess has elements of energy versus experience and wisdom and all that, right? So Augard apparently showing some kind of trend towards older players doing well. We look at this Olympiad, obviously the youngsters did well in this one tournament. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I don't know. It could be a couple of things like because we're still kind of coming off of that pandemic. And then last year's world cup saw a number of like amazing results from juniors. They're clearly working 
very hard. We saw like Sindarov do really well and like uh, Noterbeck and a few others as well. So I feel like a lot of it is just still kind of this um, kind of afterburn from the um, from the pandemic and them doing yeah. so much work. Um, We're I don't seeing know if that in necessarily getting younger. I mean, I don't know. I feel like, you know, like 10 years ago, I remember there was like Carlson, Karyakin, Rajabov, you know, they were kind of considered the next generation and people were saying like, oh, is chess getting younger? <laughs> you know, it's just kind of, I don't know, it feels like it hasn't changed um, too much. And you still have guys like Vichy and Gelfand like winning tournaments. So um, it's not, uh, I don't know, it doesn't seem like it's trending downward that much just yet. Um, like records are being broken, but not like left and right. Like every day there's like a new record that's still like smashed or something like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll just put it, I, whether it's getting younger or not, I think like to me, optically it is, but just my own basic sense of it is you peak as a player, probably between 25 and 28. And how long can you hold on after that? Magnus is 31. How long can you hold on? Caruana, dude. Mm, it's not looking good, dude. It's not looking good. He has been crashing, crashing. Is that age-related? I don't know, but it's clearly a thing where it's really hard to maintain that level. I think not just physically and mentally, but you know, psychologically to keep that level of performance so high for so long. You just slip a little bit, you're going to lose big time like Caruana has. You know, he's down to 2757. He was... Uh, 2800 not so long ago and the difference between 2757 and 2800 is actually massive it's a massive difference yeah i don't know he's lost a lot of points but i feel like he's still caruana and like i don't know i feel like his rating is not gonna matter like unless he's playing magnus i think he probably considers himself like a favorite in the game you know and i i probably would too uh -huh. so uh -huh. i think he'll get it back i think he just needs like you know, he just needs a little break from from the candidates, right? Just like needs to breathe a little bit. <laughs> this is a meditation. I I think, I think hundred percent he'll he'll be One back. Thing. So I have perhaps yeah. I'm going to give perhaps a crazy take on this, but I'm going to draw a bunch of these elements together, mm -hmm. and I'm going to tell you that in my opinion, this one tournament is an aberration okay. from the norm and the trend. So I don't think these juniors are as good as they looked at this tournament, and. You guys may know I'm the one who's a big fan of the juniors. I want to see these these Uzbeki kids dominate the world. I want it. And and they did dominate, by the way. Like the, the tournament was actually not close in a certain sense, which we could talk about later if, if you guys want. But the Uzbekis actually dominated this event, in my opinion. But followed by by the India two team. Um but I think that it was an outlier event. I think that um that the over 2700s the older players all of them they'll be back on top you know in a month at the next event that they play in i think that um you know i don't think that caruana aronian or anybody is is over the hill in terms of their performance and their skills yet um i think that the olympiad's a special situation where you're playing on a team there's different kinds of like pressure there's match situations and also, I think there's perhaps a very important factor, uh, which was the food. I, I happen to know <laughs> via, via an internal contact on the U.S. team 
that, that the food was doing some ravaging. Um, and perhaps the older players had a harder time uh-huh. <laughs> surviving the food situation than the younger players. And that could be an element that, uh, you know, meant as they got a few rounds into the tournament, they started, they started struggling a I lot. Mean, I, I, um, could totally sympathize with that. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> I got stomach issues. Yeah. If it happens during a tournament, oh, it's, that just messes you up. Actually it would, it would be a fear for me to, to play in India. Cause I got a weak stomach. I don't know if I would be able to handle a lot of it, unfortunately. Uh, um, yeah. Cause, uh, food is really good, but yeah, I mean, it's a problem if you can't, um, you can't feel healthy during uh during your game i mean yeah it is just one event i think there's lots of and and there were lots of i mean just absolute heartbreak moments uh that kind of went for uh, for the uzbek team um like people are mentioning in in chat uh shanklin you know losing that game um Mm -hmm. to uh tarmenia i mean obviously u.s team could have been doing better there but then uh there was gukesh's blunder against uh norderbeck which was just like oh so (laughs) brutal brutal to watch uh just yeah. really really painful i mean from chat we've got a, a contact of the azerbaijan team saying that they resorted to an all candy diet that was all they were eating just to get their sugar we've got um a contact from the vietnamese team saying that the vietnamese team didn't go play because they were so afraid they wouldn't be able to handle the food so um and and i've got someone from the u.s team telling me that they were definitely struggling with that so i i think that may be a huge element and uh so you know we see all these indian juniors surging but i think they had a massive home court advantage and although i'm a big fan of them and i would love to say (laughs) and see i mean jesse wouldn't but i would love to see you know eric icy and gukesh and abdu sadarov ahead of Karwana and shaking up the chess world I think it was an aberration. And, you know, if if Caruana played a match against any of those three players, um, you know, on on American soil <laughs> next week, he would win. Um, actually, it brings up another big topic, which is like uh, people are mentioning, you know, the, the home swing of the home court advantage. The fact that India gets three very strong teams. Obviously, this is a very normal thing for the Olympiad and the Olympiads that were hosted in Russia saw like three very strong uh, Russian teams, all with like chances for, for the gold. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, thinking about it this time around, it does kind of feel odd. Like someone made a good point, you know, realistically, like every country should have one chance for the, like the gold medal and, and that's it. It's kind of, yeah, strange to see a country with like two teams going into the final round with, uh, with chances for medals. I mean, it's very fun when, when that happens, honestly, like, I, yeah. I thought it was cool that India too was doing well, but yeah, it is a little bit kind of odd for the other teams. Um, and yeah, it does make me think that there should be some kind of like specific, because it sounds like what I heard on the internet is that there's no rule attached to it, but the understanding is that you have your number one team and then you have like a juniors team. It's kind of like a fun team of like wild cards. So you like give them a chance to play. So you're not trying to always send your like absolute strongest teams uh, if you, if you get multiple teams per being the, the host, uh, country that said, I mean, I'm sure Russia did it and it does bring up this kind of gray area where, okay, you can still have a team full of juniors and they're still a, uh, absolute, um, competitor for the top, the top spots. 
So I don't know. Do you guys feel like that's fair? Like that needs to be changed or? No, that's been tradition for a long time. That's been a I long know. time. Yeah. But it um, always feels unfair. <laughs> no. And honestly, usually the kids don't do so well. That's why it became a story this time. But great. That's a great story. Yeah. I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm with Jesse. I'm, I'm fine with host countries having ex, having an extra team or two. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's exciting for the local fans and the local fans are, are important, right? I mean, the Olympiad probably cost a lot of money and I imagine that the local community put up a lot of that money in some, in, you know, whether directly or indirectly in some way, you know, um, uh, I think the state of Tamil Nadu must've like spent a lot of money on this event. So why not give the local people some local kids to cheer for yeah well, it it does kind of feel like uh like a wild card like a bot like having an extra player in the candidates from your country because you're hosting the candidates which not a huge problem if the player which has also been done <laughs> uh which is done and and people have yeah. an issue with that when it's like an extra yeah. um although here it's, it's kind of funny people usually want the player to be as strong as possible <laughs> they want him to have like they want him to have a, a real shot um yeah but, but yeah, I would say the difference immediately between a round robin and a Swiss. You know, if the world championship candidates thing were like a Swiss, no one would complain that there was like an extra Russian player in it. Yeah, because there's so many more players. Because it wouldn't be taking somebody else's spot. The Indian team, by having India two, it's not like they said, oh, you know, sorry, Bermuda can't send their, their team led by Jesse Cry this year because <laughs> India gets a second team and that, that takes their spot away. Um, one thing I want to say with the youth thing is I really feel like what we're seeing at the top is what I'm observing at my lo the local open tournaments here in the States, namely that especially since the pandemic loosened and we're starting to play tournaments again, I go to the top boards and I don't recognize the people. <laughs> I don't recognize the people. There's all these kids and I'm like, it used to be. Used to be, I knew everybody. I looked down the list of the top boards and I knew everybody. And now I I, I don't know who these people are. And so it's this interesting, and, and the old guys, I know the few old guys who come out to play, they're getting smashed. So it's like this changing of the guard thing, which I do think this is like showing it. I do think it's a big watershed moment and you could look back on it and you're gonna be like, oh yeah, this is where these kids came up, you know? Um, whether it means that kids in general are better or not, I don't know, but it means this generation is different. And you're seeing it, like I'm saying, I, I think you're also seeing it at the local level, but the 10, 15 names that you have in the under 21, we're going to, that's like, boom, you're going to see those guys everywhere. Now it's going to be like the, this term, we're going to look back like, oh yeah, that was where it all happened, you know? And the cool thing about the Olympiad, right. Is it's not this kind of stodgy round robin things where only the good people get to play. Right. Everybody gets to play. Right. Yeah. Actually, on, on that topic, we should um, we should hit that as well. There is um, some people being upset that countries are uh, sending teams with comparatively very, very weak players. And it's kind of opened up um, this debate about, you know, it's like whether the Olympiad should be only for like super strong, serious players or whether everyone gets mm -hmm. to send a team. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I just want to clarify, like, uh, I, I think in general, the spirit of the Olympiad is that everyone plays. So I don't think the strength of the players really matters. For me, the, the tricky thing is that it sounds like there's corruption going on, where some mm. countries are sending weak players when they have, like, much stronger chess players 
available. And I don't know like what the reasons are, but it sounds like this um, was what Nigel Short was like. I mean, he had this like whole thing that I don't really know a lot about, like the U.S. Virgin Islands that he ended up oh, like resigning yeah. FIDE for. Um, I mean, it sounded like uh, anyway, I don't know what's going on there, but yeah. I feel Don't like... go down that rabbit hole. That's all I promise you. <laughs> I would Whatever say this. You do, chat. Whatever everybody listening, do not Google that. Do not Google that. I would say, I would say just because Nigel is an unpleasant person doesn't yeah. mean he's wrong about every single thing he says. He's definitely wrong about some things, but you can't assume that he's wrong. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean he's a like yeah. rational person. He's not gonna like resign from B Day. You know, he had plenty of reasons to resign over like the war in Ukraine and stuff like that. But he like resigns over this like weird thing where, um, yeah, ends up getting disciplined anyway. Yeah. So let me just say like on this topic for me, my take, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but it's just like uh, in general, if the country is sending, you know, their best players or whatever qualification they have, like as long as they have some kind of fair qualification for their Olympiad team. I don't care what their strength is. Like everyone gets to play. I mean, it's awesome that countries sent teams. But yeah, if there's like corruption going on, and then like, like the stronger players aren't even getting a chance or whatever, then yeah, that's a real bummer. And I hope that gets investigated. Well, yeah. maybe I, that's a, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say that's maybe a good moment to shift a little bit. And I wanted to say we kind of touched on it briefly, but I want to say while you guys were saying, oh, it's a bummer that Russia and China weren't there. Yes, it was a bummer, but I think for me, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, but like there's a dawning gulf that's happening, right? Where there's just this massive split that's before our eyes where China and Russia are going to be one thing and then the rest of the world is going to be another thing. That Russia didn't play wasn't a huge surprise. That China didn't play, that was a big disappointment because why, What? what's the pretext for them not playing? And it's a political thing. And it's like, oh, that's gross. Because now we're in a position where chess becomes very political as it used to be, right? And then we don't get the chance to have a united world chess community. And we're kind of starting to feel Cold War-ish, right? Ooh, and then especially now with Nepo Ding on the horizon. Yeah, it's oh, gonna get worse. Gonna get worse. <laughs> yeah, it's just gonna get worse. So anyways, that's just got one of the consequences of the just Nepo Ding being played is it's going to be played on the other side of that curtain, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just wanted to quickly agree with what Kostya said. I think that, you know, countries without, you know, GMs or without IMs or without whatever the level of play is in that country, they should absolutely be sent there. I mean, uh, I... I, I definitely am sensitive to people traveling too much and, and the carbon footprint imprint and all that. But a chess Olympiad is a, a glorious, beautiful thing. And, you know, cultural exchange and people coming together in peace from every single possible country, I think, is a very important and wonderful thing. So I absolutely think that, you know, every federation should be sending teams to this event. Um, and of course, if there's some corruption in the in the process, well, I'm. I'm against corruption. That's obvious. Um, do you guys think that Russia or China would have done well at this tournament had they participated? Of course they would have done well, man. Think about, see, by the way, if you're talking about young talents, think about all those Chinese kids. Like they're just like the Indian kids. They're not, we don't even know who they are because they haven't had a chance to play for years, right? Mm-hmm. They haven't been outside the country for years. Those kids haven't. 
We just see in Ding. And then basically, that's almost it. Those guys aren't even getting a chance to play. It's a mm-hmm. huge deal. Yeah, I think I think they would have. Um, I think they would have done all right. I mean, I don't know. Actually, it with Russia, it's like their Olympiad performances have gotten so disappointing. I actually was rooting for them in a couple Olympiads because they always like don't do well. And I'm like, come on, Russia, like one time, just like <laughs> live up. You know, I just want to like I want to see Kramnik dominate. I want to see Grischuk dominate. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. they <laughs> did so, badly so as fun. the favorites enough times that they became semi-underdogs even with the number one seed to the point where you wanted to see them as underdogs do well one time yeah i mean i did see them as underdogs for some olympia <laughs> <They're stuck. laughs> yeah like they never they never do well so like it's and it has so much talent too they got like 2750 on board five it's just like it's insane um so um, yeah actually okay well um i don't know if we had more to say on on this topic um i'll say i'll say one thing on that topic i definitely don't think that they would have won the olympiad ahead of the performance that we saw from uzbekistan so i want to put in perspective briefly for people the performance of uzbekistan because i think it may not be obvious but uzbekistan had two players perform over 2800 and two more players perform over 2750 right? Two players over 2,800, two over 2,750. That is miles and miles and miles away from the second place Armenia team, for example. Armenia had um, two players perform over 2,700, one player over 2,600, and their fourth best player performed in the 2,500s. So like what Uzbekistan did was not just win the tournament, but they crushed it on points scored and percentage and if you look at the tie breaks right like they had the same match score of whatever 19 out of 24 or something like that is that out of 22 19 out of 22 22 yeah um but on on points scored on boards i think they scored about five four and a half points more um which is which is massive right if you count like point by point how they were doing so i i think russia or china would have done you know, about like the U.S. or Moldova, maybe. But but Uzbekistan would have won this tournament against any team this particular week. Their 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 average rating performance of their whole team is just is just outstanding. You know. Yeah, they're really on fire. And someone was asking like how it got to this point. I remember hearing years ago like they were investing a lot of money into like youth programs and and youth coaching. Um, of course, they had uh, Sokolov as their, as their trainer for this time around, maybe for a little while. But I think this has been something that's been, I mean, clearly been growing uh, for years. And it, it, people have been circulating these photos. You know, you can see the entire Uzbek team as like kids, like five, six years ago when they're all like little babies, like Noderbek and Sindarov. And it's clear like they've just been locked in, you know, some high end training facilities for the last several years working 10 hours a day, you know, blitzing all the time, just like studying nonstop. None of these kids have social media, by the way, which I find very interesting. You know, you don't see like Noderbeck like saying anything after um, a tournament. I think these are just like super soldiers <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that are about to start uh, absolutely. I mean, we've already seen Noderbeck, like I mean, he won the World Rapid Championship ahead of Magnus, which is insane. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's just the beginning, really. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, any other uh, questions you guys want to hit today? Yeah. Last topic, real quick. During the Olympiad, there's also the FIDE election, which um, every couple of years happens. Every couple of years, it's like, you know, the winner is kind of known ahead of time. And lots of people are hoping for someone else, but it's just kind of known going into who's going to win. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's just a real bummer. And I don't know, I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> I just, <laughs> just lament that this is our, our situation in, in the chess world. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, basically, every national federation is corrupt, right? That's that's why the results are foregone conclusions in a way as they are, right? Because the results are sort of purchased. And the only way that the president could purchase the votes is if the people he's purchasing it from are corrupt as well, right? And this is something that also comes to my mind, Kostya, when you make any arguments about, well, this person had problems with their federation, so that was a reason to move. Well, dude, wherever you move to, you're going to have problems with that federation too, because they're all corrupt. <laughs> you know, It's like you flee the Cuban federation and end up with the Filipino one, or you flee that one, get to the German one. You know, why did, why did Georg Meyer switch his federation? Because he was unhappy with a German federation, right? Um, yeah, Ronin actually. with the Armenian federation. You're, like, you're asking why Ronin bad. didn't switch to Germany. Yeah, he probably heard some some stories from Neidich and Meyer and everyone else. Yeah. Um, that's a fair point. I mean, I, I would say federations probably aren't all corrupt in the same exact ways, and some might take uh, better care of their players than others. No, but the... But the odds are that 95 plus percent of them are run by corrupt people. Um, that's fine. I can't really dispute that, you know, one way or the other. <laughs> one way or the other, though, right? I mean, let's just say the, the problem with the FIDE election, whether we talk about the national federations being corrupt or not, I, I feel agnostic about it. But the um, process is set up for corruption in the sense that you have to that the vote of some small country u.s virgin islands or whatever is worth the same as a huge country right like india so it's very easy then to buy up the small countries and that's been going on for years um, and that's why the process itself just feels so icky yeah, and I think it goes even further because if I'm not mistaken, the way the election actually works is that there's a representative for each country and then there's like a secret ballot. So you don't even see how each country voted. You just see the final right. count. So yeah. maybe a country thinks that they're voting for, I don't know, the quote moral candidate or whatever. And then the representative, whoever that may be, gets paid off or whatever. You know, it's like... Yeah, it's just you so don't, much darkness about it. You don't even know who the U.S. Chess Federation voted for. So if you wanted to have some effect on how the U.S. was going to vote in the next election, you actually have no way to affect it because you don't you don't even like you could say anything you want to. And they could say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Understood. I'll vote for that person. And they might not vote for them. So and let, let's just say something obvious. So Dvorakovich wins again. The guy is an interesting guy. Like there are many people who I kind of trust their opinion saying he's okay. How, of course he has a pass with Putin though. So it's really, really weird. Right. Secondly, like maybe it's a good thing in that now we need somebody to bridge this gulf that's widening between China and, 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 and Russia and the rest of the world, right? So maybe he's even in the right spot to at least have some kind of communication over a wall that I guess is building, right? Like 
are we going to see Russian players playing in these in the round robins? I guess not. Are we going to see Chinese players playing in the round robin? Probably not so much, right? And so there's this whole thing that's happening that's really unfortunate that obviously is reflected in world events, but at least, I don't know. that. So that guy's in, in an interesting position. Well, wherever you want to say about it, that guy's in an interesting position. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I want to echo what you said. Like, there's lots of people in the chess world that like what he's done uh, as president, as FIDE president. It's just obviously right. his his background is extremely uh, questionable. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I hope it works out. I, I didn't have an issue with him when he was elected originally because it felt right. like he does have a chess background. And it seemed like uh, he might be able to do some some good stuff. Now, of course, it's just super, super complicated. Uh, it seems very tricky. We might end up with Vishyanand as Fide president, which would be kind of... I'd be okay with that. I would vote for Vishy uh, if he just ran on on his own. Um, but uh, yeah, I, the thing about how like we have no way of affecting even who the federation votes for, I think it, it kind of rings rings true. It's all very strange, um, and it's hard to see how it will how it will change. I think it just will continue to mold and and evolve. But yeah, and one thing I we should stress to to people watching is we are just as clueless as everybody else out there. There's no clarity. We, of course, like we normally, like we talk about something, we'll do a little bit of research on it. It's very hard to get any information on what happened at the election, and it was a crushing victory. It was just it would that surprised me. But like, who voted for whom? How did it go down? Was there any kind of debate? Nothing. I don't know. Who's all behind closed doors, man? I just have no idea. Yeah, I think and there was a debate. Always is. I think there actually was a debate with like uh, Barish Pulitz and Dvorkovich, and I think the other candidates mm -hmm. as well. Um, yep. But yeah, it wasn't really, you know, publicized much. And I don't even know if it affected anything. Like, I think the federations just view it kind of as like a business deal. They're just going to vote for the, the candidate that gives them the better deal. Right. They don't really, I don't know. seems like they don't really care that much about uh, what the candidates actually say or stand for or plan or, you know, anything like that. Just yeah bummer um but yeah that that's it so until the next uh olympiad which i guess will be in in, in two years i think in budapest actually is the next one um cool. and then the next election i guess four years and uh, there's gonna uzbekistan. be one in uzbekistan right in four yeah, 20, years 2026 oh, can't wait to see them clean team that one, one up team two uzbekistan yeah that's gonna be it's gonna be we'll see how much talent they have by then actually. their b That'll team be better start preparing yeah fascinating um, all right okay that will do it for uh, dojo talks thanks everyone for uh for listening catch you guys next time Stop.